second chapter. Will you stand with me this morning and talk about being sifted, sifted, sifted. All right, Luke 22, beginning at verse 14. This is the message translation. It says, when it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with him, and said, you've no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. It's the last one I'll eat until we all eat it together in the kingdom of God. Taking the cup, he blessed it and said, take this and pass it among you. As for me, I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God arrives. Taking bread, he blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Eat it in my memory. He did the same with the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood Blood poured out for you. Do you realize that the hand of the one who is betraying me is at this moment on this table? It's true that the Son of Man is going down a path already marked out. No surprises there. But for the one who turns him in, turns traitor to the Son of Man, it's doomsday. They immediately became suspicious of each other and began quizzing one another, wondering who might be about to do this. Within minutes, they were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest. But Jesus intervened. Kings like to throw their weight around, and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not going to be that way with you. Let the senior among you become like the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You'd rather eat and be served, right? But I have taken my place among you as the one who serves. And you've stuck with me through thick and thin. Now I confer on you the royal authority of my father conferred on me. So you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be strengthened as you take up responsibilities among the congregation of God's people. Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me like chaff from wheat. Simon, I prayed for you in particular that you not give in or give out. When you have come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Peter said, Master, I am ready for anything with you. I'd go to jail for you. I'd die for you. Jesus said, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you will have three times denied that you know me. Lord Jesus, minister to us this morning. Let your word sink deep in our hearts. Strengthen us. Prepare us for the day in which we live. That every test and every trial, Lord Jesus, we will go through uh, faithful, true, and strong, we ask. Bless our time together in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This Thursday, September 12th, uh, was the 16th anniversary of the death of my father, Pastor Bud, uh, the founder of Grapevine Fellowship. How many of you had the privilege of knowing him or hearing him preach? So, pretty good number here that are present this morning. He passed away on a Friday night in Kingman, Arizona, 
And we drove all night from Gardnerville, 450 miles north, to Kingman, 100 miles south, and arrived there, I think, around 9 o'clock in the morning, and then turned around and drove back to Las Vegas, made funeral arrangements for him that Saturday afternoon, and Bill Shoemate asked me to preach that following morning on Sunday, uh, September 14th, which would have been yesterday, uh, 16 years ago. So that was the anniversary of that. So this is right in line. In that, and then uh, quite by accident, and certainly not with any uh, thought or knowledge on my part, I was in our shed, cleaning the shed, and going through some boxes looking for some certain papers that I need to find, and out fell the, the very handwritten notes that I used 16 years ago, fell out of a box. And I'm like, what? You're kidding me. I didn't know these were even here. I didn't have any idea that this was still around. Uh, stirred my heart, and here we are this morning. That uh, <clears throat> I preached a, a sermon that Sunday that I had preached in Gardnerville the Sunday before. And uh, actually, the outline for that sermon had been sent to me by a friend that was uh, in prison. And he had preached it in prison a few weeks before that. And it had touched so many hearts there that he decided that, that somehow he would send that on to me and, and sent that to me. And I, I preached it there in Gardnerville and then turned around and preached it here uh, in the morning of Pastor Bud's death. And this is that sermon. You know, and I rarely, I almost never preach the same sermon twice. Uh, almost never. Some, you know, I've pastored what, seven different churches, I believe, and I don't go back to my old notes at the old church and sort through those and re-preach what I had preached there before. Uh, you know my pattern. I love to just find a passage in the scripture and chew on it a while and then crack that nut and find out what the goodies on the inside are, you know, that, that really feed me. So I, I, that's my joy. And the way I like to preach is I like to just find out I want to be as excited about what I'm telling you as that I just now found that, you know, rather than something that I found last month and then and, and bringing back to you. So I, I rarely do that, but I'm going to do that this morning. And this is that sermon. Uh, and it's as relevant today as it was then. Uh, Brendan had preached that uh, message in prison to himself and to the men whose lives were, were uh, not going as they had hoped for, as they found themselves incarcerated. But still today, we're, we're living in a world that is filled with chaos and confusion. Uh, is there anybody in the room that would say, yes, everything in my life is going exactly the direction I want it to go? This is just the way I thought it would be. I am so happy that, that everything is lining up. The future is rosy and bright, and I'm good to go, and I'm so happy about it. Anybody here? In Jesus? Okay, in Jesus. <laughs> Only in Jesus. All right, so that, I, I kind of figured that, 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 you know, this just the way things are going. There isn't an individual in the room that would say, everything is just lined up, and boy, is the future looking bright for me. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you've got a couple of things going on that you're really happy about. Praise God for that. We need that encouragement, certainly. But there are some things happening that, that are just discouraging and disappointing and dismaying, you know, that like, what in the world is all this about? And what are we going to do about it? Or what can we do about it? Our, our country is fractured on every single issue. 
You name it, there's a side that hates it, and there's a side that loves it and hates those that hate it, and the haters hate the lovers, and it just, you know, it's just everybody's got a placard, everybody's got a cause, and everybody's against everybody else, you know? And it just seems, and you name it. There's, there's this great divide in the whole area, and uh, things are just not going the way that anybody hoped that they would. And while that's true for our country, it's also true even in a greater way around the world. You know, this country's alliance with this country and alliance with that country, but man, if they don't shape up, they're going to blow them out of the water and hook up with this country, you know. And, and so world politics is in the same condition, and uh, the world is filled with crises of biblical proportions, literally. You know, it's like... Uh, Fuses have been lit everywhere around the world, and we're just waiting to see what blows up first, you know? It's like, okay, plug your ears and hold on. We'll see what happens to tear it all apart. But this isn't what we had hoped for. This isn't what we planned for. And so this text comes from a time that's just like that in the lives of the disciples. Their, you know, think about their feeling and their hopes and aspirations at their time. Uh, these words were given in advance to minister to the disciples and prepare them for what was coming. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus had told his disciples what was coming uh, dozens of times. And uh, they just didn't get it. It just didn't sink in. They, just, they, they heard him. They repeated it. But it didn't register up here. They, they, they didn't figure it out. And so uh, when it did happen, they were just as upset and confused and disturbed and messed up as anybody could possibly be. Uh, crazy, confusing, frightening days lay ahead of them. Just, you know, the women came back and they're talking like crazy ladies that the stone is rolled away and, and we saw him crucified and we put him in there. How could that, you know, just all of this confusion. The disciples had loved walking with Jesus. Uh, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that have been wonderful? If you and I could have been there and walked maybe just one day, wouldn't, wouldn't that just be great just to have one day to have walked with Jesus just to say, I saw him. I saw him. You know, we, we, we do that with celebrities. You know, well, I saw this celebrity or I saw that celebrity or I shook this guy's hand. You know, and we're all proud of that and everything. But wouldn't it have been glorious to be able to say, I walked with Jesus one day. You know, or I heard him preach the Sermon on the Mount or whatever it, it might have been. That would have been glorious. And it would have been wonderful to be there. And, and to know that in spite of the opposition, because Jesus had opposition, and the government threats, because Jesus had government threats, uh, that Jesus was large and in charge, and as long as he was here, everything was under control, and everything was going to turn out, out right, and nothing could go wrong, could go wrong, could go wrong, could go wrong. You know, because he's here. And suddenly he wasn't there. Suddenly he's gone. And now what? What's, what's happening? So when Jesus was crucified and dead and buried, their world collapsed. I mean, they hid, they scattered, they were in fear, their hopes, their dreams were broken, their leader was gone, their plan was ruined. 
And they felt that they'd wasted their time in following Jesus. Put in three and a half years with this guy and he abandons us. Or it all blows up. Or he wasn't who he said he was. Or he'd still be here. He couldn't be God and be dead. And so everything had vaporized in front of him. So Jesus was preparing them in advance with these statements and this message. <clears throat> it says, when the hour had come in the New King James, my the title comes from New King James rather than the passage, uh, the message. But in New King James, translation says, when the hour had come, he sat down with them, the 12 apostles with them, and he said to them, with fervent desire, he said to them, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So Jesus had a, uh, just, he couldn't express it any more firmly uh, of how much he wanted to eat this meal with them. How important it was to him to have this time with them. It was critical in his thinking that he sit down with them at this occasion and at this time because he knew full well what the next 24 hours would hold. And so he said, I, I want to sit with you, and you have no idea how much I desire to be there with you. This was his farewell message. This, this was it. He knew he was leaving. He knew he had come from God, and he was returning to God. Uh, had he been able to teach the disciples anything? Did they get it? Were they up to it? Well, it didn't look like it when they're sitting there arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, well, shut up. You know, just come on. Is that what this meal is about? Is that what we're doing here, trying to have an election of uh, council members or something? <laughs> you know? <clears throat> is that what this is about, some kind of pride and arrogance no he said a fervent desire I want to eat this meal with you I want to talk to you I want you to get the idea of what's coming ahead what's up yeah there was also a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest and you we still have a problem with trying to be the greatest you all know that Muhammad Ali was the greatest. He said so. And, you know, so. He, he just said it straight out. I mean, at least he's honest. We know better than to say that. We just think it down inside. Yeah. We just think it down inside, you know. We wouldn't dare to say that right out loud. Well, I'm better than they are, or I've you know, got more browning points than they do, or I've sacrificed more, or I'm smarter, I'm more beautiful, I'm more educated, I'm whatever, 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 you know. But in every one of us, we'd like to think that. We try to reason why we're better than somebody else, or we're as good as somebody else at very least. So, before you pick up any rocks and throw them at uh, Peter and John, you know the story uh, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet as they're arguing and as they're bickering among themselves. 
And, and my picture of that particular scene was that they're so busy yakking, there wasn't 23 minutes of silence that night. <laughs> they're so busy talking that Jesus got up and walked away from the table and they didn't even know it. Know it. They're still arguing. And he takes off his robe and puts on the servant's robe. And they still haven't paid any attention. And he grabs a basin and a pitcher of water and a towel, and he comes and he starts washing feet. And they're still arguing. Amen. And they're supposing that the person washing their feet is the servant that's been hired to do what he's supposed to do, you know? Come on. Here, get my little toe there, would you? Come on. I got back here on the heel. They're not paying one bit of attention until Jesus comes to Peter. And Peter gets his foot stuck in that cold water, cold bowl full of water, and, whoa, wait a minute, whoa, master, what are you doing? You, you, you don't wash my feet, I wash your feet. Oh, he's a sharp as a marble, or figuring that out, you know. I'm, I'm the one supposed to be washing your feet. You know the story. And, and Jesus gets their attention, and he teaches them, and he says, that the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and over those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. So this is the way the world works. And this is the way the world is working today, right? They exercise authority and they've got authority from this person and that person and this benefactor and, yeah, benefactors, that's right. The, the biggest uh, contribution gets the most favor. And let's not go there. <clears throat> Not so among you, Jesus said. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. So Jesus says when you get the title, the position, the place, then that is your opportunity to put it into action, to serve, to be the lower person for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Well, yeah, that's the way it works in the world, right? You know, it's, it's the one with the spotlight on them and the microphone in their hand and, the, you know, that's got, getting all the attention. And he said, yet I, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, I am among you as the one who serves. And then he turns to Peter and he says a very curious thing. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat. Satan has asked that he may sift you as wheat. I think we often read right past that statement uh, without thinking about what he's saying there to, to Peter. What he's saying is Satan has asked permission to test you. And apparently, that permission has been given to him. This doesn't just apply to Peter, of course. This applies to every one of us. You know? So Satan has asked permission to test you. And apparently, Satan has been given permission to test you. Now, if that seems really strange to you, you need to read the book of Job then, right? Because that's exactly what the book of Job describes for us in the Old Testament. That the sons of God were coming before 
our Heavenly Father, and Satan came with them, and he's you know, ridiculing Job. Said, well, have you noticed my servant Job? What a mighty man. He, yeah, 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 but, but you, you've got him protected. You've got him covered. You've blessed him so much. If, if you took away his stuff, he wouldn't, he wouldn't serve you. And God said, I'll give you permission. You can have it. He'll never curse me. And you know the story of Job, and, and that went on and on and on. Read, read the book of Job if you haven't lately. It's, a, it's a, something that just needs to be reminded about. Because uh, the enemy wants to sift you like wheat. Sift you like wheat. Now, uh, do you know how wheat was sifted in Jesus' day? You know, we, we live in the modern machine age, which has been going on now for... 150, 200 years, and so we're so used to white bread, you know, and to everything just being presented to us that you have no idea of what it takes to, to get to wheat turned into flour and so forth. But in uh, Jesus' day, particularly, and all the way up to the last, before the last 150 years, wheat was uh, harvested in just this manner. Wheat grows on a stalk, uh, a kernel of wheat, is uh, has a sheath that grows around it and it's protected. The, the little kernel inside is protected uh, by the husk from everything that surrounds it and would get on it or attack it, something like an ear of corn. You know how the ear of corn has a husk around it to protect the corn on the inside, uh, except that in the case of wheat, wheat is an individual kernel and each individual kernel is wrapped kind of like... Uh, individually wrapped pieces of candy, I guess, you know, you get the idea that, that in wheat, every piece is wrapped in its own little wrapper. And that husk, if you've tried eating uh, corn husk lately, uh, you probably decided that it wasn't worth the effort and it didn't taste good and wasn't for you, and neither is the husk of, a, of wheat. Uh, it's just uh, bran. We, we make cereal out of it now, you know, bran or wheat bran. Uh, wheat bran is actually harder and coarser than oat bran. Uh, and so you've got to get rid of the husk. So you've got all these hundreds of little kernels in there, all of them wrapped in this relatively heavy protective coating around them. And so in order to do that, the husk has to be removed to get the good stuff out. So when wheat is harvested, it is dried out. And then it's placed in a crucible you know, a stone bowl, and then they take uh, four or five inch diameter poles or beating sticks or whatever, and they pound and pound and pound and pound and pound on the wheat that's in the husk. And as they do so, it grinds and it grinds and it grinds and it grinds, and it manages to break the husk away from the kernel of wheat. And so they keep pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding to get that to pulverize and get that husk to separate from the wheat. Now, when you get that done, you've got wheat and husks in the same bowl. You, you've got it all there mixed together, and so you still can't eat that because if you tried to eat the wheat in that condition, you'd be eating a husk, and that won't work. And so they took the wheat to the threshing floor, and at the threshing floor, they took a winnowing basket. This is an Indian... Native American artifact, but it's a winnowing basket in, in reality because the Indians also did that same method, same thing with the, all of their produce. And so they would scoop into the 
husk and the kernels that are all together. And they would go up on the high place of a mountain. And they'd wait for a good windy day uh, to, to be cleaning their grain. And then they would take it and they'd throw it in the air. And the wind would blow the husks away and the heavier grain would come back down and they'd catch it. That's how grain is cleaned. But wait a minute. There's still some husks in there. We didn't get them all. <clears throat> Up it goes and the wind blows and kernels whirl around. Last moment, scoop it back up again. Pretty good. Pretty good. It's getting better. Here we go. Woo! And they throw it in the air again. The wind whirls around and the dust blows. And they catch the grain. And they repeat that process until the grain is clean, edible, and can be used. Has to be sifted. Has to be sifted. Now, Jesus said to Peter, Satan asked to sift you. Sift you. That means you're going to get pounded. That means you're going to get tossed in the air. That means the wind's going to blow around and things are going to blow away that you thought you needed. I can't live without my little surrounding, you know, my little protected husk, all those things that I hold dear, my iPhone. Oh, no, not that. No. And the wind blows. (laughs) My mortgage, my house, oh my goodness, no. And the wind blows. But he catches you. But just when you say, oh, he caught me. Oh, he caught me, he caught me, he caught me. Away it goes again. Oh, I thought I'd gotten rid of everything I needed to get rid of. That's what you thought, right? That's what you thought, but that ain't. It's still, and he just keeps cleaning and refining and cleaning, and refining, and you're spinning around going, what in the world is happening? Everything I'm trying to hold on to is being ripped away from me and being pulled away from me, and uh, I just can't take it anymore. Sift you like wheat. This applies to Peter, but it also applies to you and to me. And we get tossed up in the air on a windy day, Disorienting, confusing, lack of direction. What's happening? Why am I going through this? God, where are you? Your life is up in the air, but then he catches you again. You catch your breath and say, thank you, Jesus, and then tosses it again. And everything goes. Sifting cleanses wheat. Sifting, you understand that. Well, this is necessary. Uh, Don't do it now, but sometime with this in mind, go back and read the story of Gideon as Gideon was trying to sift wheat inside the building. (laughs) It don't work. But sifting cleanses wheat, tears away the pride, the arrogance. It humbles us because it, it causes us to know that we are absolutely dependent upon the one that holds the basket. You know? We're absolutely dependent that he, if he doesn't catch us, if he pulls that basket back and lets us go, we're doomed. But we can be assured that he knows what he's doing and he'll catch us, he'll keep us. Yes, 
disciples that desire greatness need to be sifted. Did I make that point well enough that you all desire greatness? We'd like to think we're the greatest. We'd like to think that we're at least better than somebody else. You know? Well, in order to deal with that, you're going to get sifted. You're going to get pounded. Peter says, I'll defend you to the death. Man, I'm, I'm the, I'll be the last one with you. And then he turns around and decide, de- denies that he even knew Jesus because of his pride and his arrogance that Peter didn't believe he even had. He didn't know he had pride. He was sifted and it stripped him of his pride. But Jesus said, I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. I've prayed for you. Wait a minute. Jesus has prayed for you. Do you think Jesus knows how to pray according to the will of God? You know, see, part of our problem is when we pray, we're praying out of the will of God. We're praying our own selfish prayer. But when Jesus prays, he's praying according to the will of God. So when Jesus prays, you've got something worth having. And he says, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. He didn't pray that we wouldn't be sifted. Lord, don't let them be sifted. Don't, don't let that, all those good things be stripped away from them. Don't, don't let them feel lonely or scared or, or upset or in turmoil or confused. Don't let any of those things happen to them. That's not what he said. He said, uh, I prayed for them, and I prayed that they wouldn't lose their faith. He prayed that when we are sifted, we will keep our faith and will return to him. One of those prayers is recorded in John 17. Uh, part of it says down the 15th verse, I don't pray that you should take them out of the world. Wouldn't that be nice? God, take me home right now, you know, and I'll bring my iPhone with me. <laughs> take me home. He said, I didn't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Many things sift us. Sixteen years ago, it was the death of Pastor Bud. It was very shocking, sifting for the congregation of Grapevine. Uh... He passed away on Friday night. This was preached on Sunday morning. He hadn't been buried yet. So it was, I mean, we were all in shock and awe, you know, just like what on earth has just happened? Certainly a death of a loved one. Sifsis. Accidents. Disease. My sister is being sifted today. You know, her faith is being tested. Things are upset. Bad things happen to good people. You wonder about that. God, Lord, but, 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 but I did all the things right and I'm getting all the trouble and that character over there is a, you know what he is. And look at him living large. What's up with that? You know, thumbing his nose at God. Spitting in your face. And he's got it all. Everything the world could ever ask for. We're being sifted. Financial distress, recession, hard times, marital distress, 
family problems, church problems, on and on and on it goes. All the things that sift us, distress us. They're still happening even now. Everything's up in the air, certainly on the world view and the country view. Uh, you know, all of these things are chaotic. If your personal life is going flawlessly at the moment, still everything that's happening in the world ought to give you pause, right? Because you don't know, well, you know my, my life may be perfect, but this world certainly isn't, and I can't be guaranteed that everything's going to go right tomorrow either. But sifting will purify and cleanse us. The disciples were left with some really big shoes to fill. Jesus was going away, and they were going to be left there. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And that doesn't just apply to Peter, of course. That applies to you. It applies to me. You know, that God has called and sent each and every one of us. Sixteen years ago on that Sunday, when Pastor Bud had left, we said, there are some big shoes left to be filled. We need a thousand pastor buds. And I ask those, any of you were there for that particular service? Steve? Jackie? Viola? My wife? Mary Lou? I asked those in attendance to stand. And if they were getting ready to step into pastor bud's shoes, take their shoes off. How many of you took your shoes off? I was wearing cowboy boots that Sunday morning, but I, I managed to get them off. You know? Take off their shoes as an act of acceptance of that challenge. And you know what? When you look back at that, that congregation has been scattered across the city of Las Vegas, but almost most of those people are in, in some form of ministry around this town somewhere. They have fulfilled exactly what God has asked them to do. Yeah. Some, you know, not always because they chose it, but most often because God shoved them into it, even against their will. That's what's called sifting, you know. So we're still called to fill the shoes of Jesus. Anybody want to slip your shoes off this morning? Because Jesus called uh, us to do what he did. He calls us to wash feet, to touch people, to... Minister in the same way we have been ministered to. Touched by Jesus. I, I, I need to tell you, I am so proud of you. I, 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 you know, a pastor, if, if a pastor ever could be swollen, swollen up with pride, I was swollen up last Sunday as a homeless drunk that stunk to high heavens joined us for worship. And you accepted him. You cared for him. Don went up and stood beside him to keep him from falling out of his seat. That's what I'm talking about. You already demonstrated that. And if, perhaps, in the process of that, you were a little uh, irritated, perhaps, you know, what's that guy doing? That's just so disturbing to have somebody come in and talk out a turn. And, and did you notice he stayed for both services? He loved it so much. He stayed for both services and the baptismal. Yeah. 
And that man is hurting, he's broken ribs, can't breathe without pain. Can't survive, he's living under the bridge. And you might, you know, be like the rest of the world, say, yeah, well, he got that way on his own. He drank too much. He did this, he did that, he did the other thing. Uh, he claims he's a Vietnam vet. Well, he served your country, right? So I was swelled with pride last week, so recalled to fill some big shoes. We've been washed by Jesus. He, he's touched us. He's uh, called us to ministry. I took my shoes off that Sunday. Because there, there, are, there are shoes to fill. There are places that you need to go, but you'll have to present yourself to the Lord. Say, here I am, send me. Here I am. He, he won't send rebellious people. Rebellious people say, I don't know, I think for me, I'm not doing that. No, no, no. But the world's in need. And listen, there is no political solution. There is no military solution. The only possible solution is Jesus Christ. You know that. You know that. Just like our brother there in Turkey this morning that we heard from. The doors are wide open. We just need people to step into the place. Will you stand this morning, shoes on or shoes off? Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. He's ministering. Lord Jesus, indeed, your word has called us. Your words speak to us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Beginning in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth, beginning at home, in our own house, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, and in our world. To spread the word of Jesus Christ to those who have not yet heard, like a country of 70 million turkeys. Lord Jesus, that they have not known the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your call to us is that we would go. Lord, uh, we hear your voice this morning. We stand here barefoot. Say, Lord, we want to walk in your shoes. We want to be your servant. We want to do your will, not ours. So we ask your blessing, Lord Jesus, as we dedicate ourselves. For many of you, this will be a call to ministry. Maybe not in a pulpit, but certainly a call to ministry one-on-one, wherever you go. And if you'll be obedient to that, who knows where you'll go? God alone. So, Lord Jesus, we accept your challenge this morning. We receive your call. We hear your voice. We understand that we're being sifted. We also understand who it is that holds that basket and that you'll catch us and that you will keep us in all of our ways. And you want us to bear much fruit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Go with us, we pray. Let your words sink in. Lord, this this sermon isn't over. You need to finish it in our own hearts, in each individual heart, 
we open ourselves. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Give us your wisdom, your direction, your, your vision for our lives. Deliver us from our vision of our lives because our vision of our lives is second rate at very best. We want your vision. Go with us. Speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.